Hello, Reviving Virtue listeners. I am going to share with you about an eight-minute-long episode I just produced for my YouTube channel on Henri Bergson's concept of Alain Vital and John Dewey's critique of it that he presents at the end of chapter four of his book, Human Nature and Conduct. I found Dewey's critique to be quite powerful, and I thought I would produce a short video going into it and explaining it, and I wanted to share it with you as well. I, uh, I leveraged AI and used AI to produce a bunch of artwork to go along with this. So there's something that you can enjoy on YouTube if you want to go on over there. It's Reviving Virtue on YouTube. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy this short episode on Alain Vital and John Dewey's critique of it. Thank you. Hello, everyone. In this short video, we will embark on a journey navigating the concept of Henri Bergson's Alain Vital and John Dewey's critique of this that he presented at the end of chapter four of his work, Human Nature and Conduct. So let us delve into Henri Bergson's concept of Alain Vital. Bergson posits this vital force as an antidote to the limitations of scientific rationalism, which often reduces the complexities of life to mere mechanistic interactions. In Bergson's view, Alain Vital serves as a metaphysical underpinning that transcends this dualism between spirit and matter, offering a more holistic understanding of existence. Now, why does Bergson find it necessary to introduce such a concept? The answer lies in his critique of the prevailing scientific paradigm of the time. He argues that the mechanistic worldview is fundamentally inadequate for capturing the nuances of life's dynamism. Alain Vital, in contrast, encapsulates the ineffable qualities that propel life forward, qualities that elude the grasp of reductionist science. So, in essence, Bergson's Alain Vital serves as a conceptual bridge, you could say, reconciling the seemingly irreconcilable realms of spirit and matter. It invites us to reconsider the limitations of our epistemological frameworks and beckons us toward a more integrated understanding of the cosmos. And so, Bergson is challenging us to transcend the myopic lens through which we often view the world, urging us to embrace a perspective that honors both the tangible and the intangible, the empirical and the metaphysical. Yet, as we delve deeper into Dewey's intellectual landscape, we find the critique that is not merely a refutation of dualism, but an exploration of its social and ethical ramifications. Dewey, unlike many of his contemporaries, does not dismiss mechanism. Rather, he elevates it. He argues that all life operates through a mechanism, and the higher the form of life, the more intricate and adaptable this mechanism becomes. Dewey's critique is not an indictment of skill or technique, no. It's a call for a reevaluation of how we conceive of these elements in relation to thought and feeling. He posits that the artist, even in the act of practicing for skill, is already deploying an art they possess. This is not a mere exercise in mechanical repetition, but a manifestation of intelligent habit. Dewey's argument is a challenge to the prevailing educational and social systems that perpetuate this dualism. He contends that such dualism serves the interests of those who wish to monopolize social power, thereby distorting the very essence of democracy. Dewey's critique serves as a clarion call for a more unified approach to understanding human capabilities. It questions the social structures that perpetuate this dualism, structures that often serve the interest of those in power at the expense of collective intellectual and artistic growth. 
Moving beyond the realm of individual artistry and skill, we now turn our attention to the broader social implications of the dualistic thinking critiqued by both philosophers here. Dewey, in particular, is incisive in his analysis of how this dualism serves to perpetuate existing power structures. In a society where thought and action, habit and intellect, are artificially segregated, we find the troubling stratification. Those who wield social power monopolize the realm of thought and planning, relegating the rest to be more docile instruments of execution. This, Dewey argues, is a perversion of democracy, a system that should, in its ideal form, multiply occasions for thought in action rather than mere imitation. The implications are far-reaching, affecting not just our educational systems, but also the very fabric of our democratic institutions. Dewey's critique serves as a call for a more unified approach to habit and thought, one that resists the monopolization of intellectual faculties and promotes a more equitable distribution of social power. Both philosophers are preoccupied with the intricate interplay between habitual thought and what might be termed the life force. However, it is crucial to understand that these zones of convergence are more superficial than substantive, and this is what we're exploring in this video. While both philosophers engage with similar themes, their approaches and conclusions are fundamentally at odds. Consider, for instance, Bergson's Alain Vital. It emerges as a force that transcends the mechanistic realm, leaving in its wake what Dewey might characterize as a trail of routine habits. Yet, Dewey offers a caveat, a blind creative force, as he articulates it, harbors the potential to be as destructive as it is generative. Absent the guidance of thought and habit, the Elan Vital could engender chaos rather than harmony. Here, Dewey contends that these routine habits are not merely mechanical repetitions, but are imbued with intentionality. In Dewey's framework, habits serve as the nexus between thought and action, between the ideal and the real. They are not just mechanistic behaviors, but meaningful practices that actualize our intentions and thoughts. Contrary to a harmonious synthesis, what we find in Bergson and Dewey are two profoundly divergent apprehensions of the relationship between the transcendent and the imminent, the spiritual and the habitual. While Bergson posits the Elan Vital as a transcendent force that escapes the confines of a mechanistic thought, Dewey argues that such a conceptualization actually perpetuates the dualism it seeks to overcome. For Dewey, the true synthesis occurs not in metaphysical abstraction, but in the lived reality of intentional habits. So as we draw this to a close, it becomes evident that the philosophical chasm between Bergson and Dewey are not mere historical curiosities. They are living debates that continue to shape our understanding of habit, thought, and social organization today. While Bergson's Alain Vital offers a poetic, transcendent escape from the mechanistic confines of empirical science, Dewey's intelligent habit rather roots us in the imminent, urging us to find meaning and ethical guidance in our lived experiences and social interactions. Through the constant reflexive use of thought to evaluate the practical outcomes rooted in our contingent sensual lives. So as we navigate the ethical and moral quagmires of the 21st century on this stage we call life, 
a time marked by a disquieting absence of coherent ethical frameworks, we would be well advised to heed Dewey's pragmatic insights, which are deeply rooted in the material imminence of our lived experiences. The philosophical divergence between Dewey and Bergson serves as a valuable lens through which we can articulate our own conceptions of a flourishing life. It provides us with a rich intellectual tapestry to draw upon as we grapple with the perennial questions of human existence, cognition, and agency in our era of late modernity mired in anxiety and confusion.